Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Let me welcome you to Prophecy Today Weekend. We need 90 minutes of your time to give you the world and the current events happening around this world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, this is a special edition of Prophecy Today Weekend, Israeli Elections 2019. In a moment, we'll go to Winky Madad. He's going to give us an analysis and all the details about the election, what the possibilities are of it coming together, a coalition government being formed, or will there be another election in Israel this year or the first of next year? David Dolan's going to talk to us about the large Arab vote turnout uh, that made them the number three party in all of the elections opportunities given to the entire electorate of Israel and how the Arab parties could play a role maybe in a coalition government. And then David James will come along. We're going to be talking about Jonathan Kahn's brand new book, The Oracle. I would suggest you keep the dial set right where it is for the next 90 minutes. We need that to give you all of this information. And we go first to Ken Timmerman. He's an author. He is a world traveler. He's a journalist. He's involved in the Washington, D.C. area. And he has knowledge at the tip of his tongue telling us what is happening. Ken, let's get, I've got a lot to talk to you about, but let's start with what do you think and what your thoughts might be as it relates to the Israeli elections and where they are right now, just at the beginning in reality. Well, uh, Jimmy, this is the end of an era, the end of the Netanyahu prime ministry, which has lasted roughly 19 years. And Netanyahu has forged very close relationships, unusual relationships, uh, with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, as well, obviously, with Donald Trump, but also with the Saudis. I would be watching what he does next. Does he take part in a coalition government say, as defense minister, and keep those relationships and manage those relationships for the state of Israel, because if he does not, Israel will find itself in uncharted waters with untested leaders uh, at a very, very dangerous time. Boy, that is right. Exactly what I was thinking would be the number one opinion from Ken Timmerman. Well, let me get to some of the other items. The big story this week, of course, happened last Saturday when Iran shot missiles from Iran, I believe southern Iran, and also western Iraq, and they destroyed some of the Oil refineries there in Saudi Arabia, the largest in all of the world. What are your thoughts about what's going on there and the response, maybe? Well, the first thing is to state absolutely unequivocally these were attacks by the Iranian regime. They have denied it. They've claimed it was the Houthis. But there's definitive evidence shown by the Saudis during a press conference this week of some of the drones and cruise missiles that fell on Saudi territory before they actually hit this petroleum facility. They're, they're Iranian. Everybody can see them. They're Iranian, and they did not come from the south, from Yemen. They came someplace from the north. Reports are still conflicting on where they were actually launched. Some say it was in Iraq. Others say in western Iran or some other place, in fact. We will find that out in time. But the most important thing to note, 
this was Iran launching an attack, a sovereign state launching an attack on another sovereign state. That's called an act of war. And the Saudis have not yet responded to that act of war, nor has the United States responded to this act of war. Uh, let me also point out that the Abqaiq facility, uh, this gigantic petrochemical facility in Saudi Arabia, about 50 miles inland from the Persian Gulf, it is so big, it comprises roughly half of Saudi's oil production, about 5 million barrels per day. And analysts have looked at this, and fiction writers have looked at an attack on Abqaiq for years as being a cataclysmic event, an end-of-world event, if you wish, that would drive oil prices up to hundreds of dollars a barrel. It hasn't done it. The oil prices spiked a bit, maybe $10 a barrel, but that was it, even though it looks like there was extensive damage done to the facility, one of the reasons prices did not go through the roof was because of Donald Trump's policy to open up U.S. shale and fracking oil and natural gas. So there's much, much more oil on the market. The United States also released oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. These two things have helped to mitigate the potentially cataclysmic impact of that Iranian strike. And I guess they must be very unhappy about that now. Yeah, uh, Iran has an eschatology uh, that basically states if they can cause a catastrophic event, that possibility would bring about the appearance of the Mahdi, the Muslim Messiah, which would be the 12th Imam coming out of Iran. That's a very interesting connection between what did take place and uh, what the eschatology of Iran is today. I understand that there's been no response from the United States nor Saudi Arabia. You stated that to us, Ken. And the Israelis are very much concerned. They believe that if that response doesn't come pretty quickly, that Iran will have the license to go ahead and attack other locations, like U.S. military bases in the Middle East, like Israel itself. Any reason for this lack of response or why it's not going on pretty quickly? Well, I think the president has been um, concerned that his national security team, led by John Bolton, who we fired last week, let's not forget, has been urging him to respond militarily, and the president doesn't want to. He would rather negotiate. He would rather find a way to jaw-jaw instead of war-war, as Churchill liked to say. With Iran, though, I think he's going to find that he can't do that. The longer that the United States holds back from punishing Iran for its acts of aggression, and in this case an act of war, the more the Iranian regime will take that as an encouragement for future attacks. That's what I am very concerned about. I know the Iranians pretty well. Uh, when they see a perceived weakness from the United States, which they think this is, they exploit it and they will continue their aggression. I think the Israelis are right to point this out, uh, to be worried about this, and I think we should all be worried about it. I intend to be writing about this in the coming days. I think the president should take a very firm, a very strong stand uh, against the Iranian regime for this act of war, and I'm hoping that his new national security advisor, Bob O'Brien, is going to be leading the team in pulling together that response, which will be military as well as economic and diplomatic. Ken, be sure to send me that article. I want to post it on our website, prophecytoday.com. 
However, when we think about this response or lack of it, Tehran has said we are committed to all-out war if Iran is the target. Is that bravado or are they capable of taking on either Saudi Arabia or the United States? Well, right now, the Iranians are playing a, a war of words or engaged in a war of words with the United States. They're trying to scare us, if you wish, through this kind of rhetoric. The Saudis have heard this before, but they saw the missiles, the cruise missiles, they saw the drones. They realized that the Iranians are locked and loaded and ready for war with them. Uh, and Saudis truly are concerned about this. The Iranians are just are trying to head off a U.S. military reaction, and that's why you see this type of rhetoric. They're, they're trying to scare the public and to uh, scare the president that their response will be much worse than anything he can possibly imagine. I think that is bravado, and I do believe that uh, it's time for us to respond militarily to the Iranians. Can you mention Robert O'Brien as the new national advisor on the security what do you know about him? Is he a friend, or is he going to be a good man at that position? Well, Rob O'Brien, is a, he's a Republican lawyer. He's somebody who does have quite a bit of national security experience, but he's a, a man of the apparatus, if you wish. He is a, he's, a, he's an insider. He understands the inside workings of government. We knew where John Bolton stood. Bolton was on the Trump team. He did, definitely was not part of the deep state. He opposed the deep state. Uh, and that is the single most uh, important battle that this president uh, is fighting with his own advisors. Are you with me or are you part of the deep state? What about Soleimani? He's the head of the Quds or Jerusalem activities, that militia there in Iran. They want to take over and control Israel, of course, and particularly the city of Jerusalem. But Soleimani went into Baghdad to confer with the Shiite proxies there, and it was happening right after uh, this event took place in the Saudi oil fields. Looks like he wants to put uh, all the U.S. forces in the entire Middle East, but in particular Iraq as targets and also Israel. Any real concern about that? Uh, there's a great deal of concern about that. He met with militia leaders. He met with uh, Hadi Alamari, a prime minister in Iraq, and, and other very, very top officials, people involved with the, what they call the popular mobilization forces. These are Iranian-backed Shiite fighters on the ground, about 100,000 of them in Iraq. There is some evidence that one of their locations may have been used to launch the strikes on Saudi Arabia. The Iraqi government has denied that. This is a, a huge asset that he's got. Soleimani is worried because over the past week, the Israelis and the Saudis have bombed the PMF positions right on the border between Iraq and Syria at Abu Kamal. This is a key a linchpin, a crossing point of their land bridge from Iran to the Israeli border. Qasem Soleimani wants to make sure that that land bridge stays open, that the uh, forces in Iraq are wholly engaged on Iran's side against Saudi Arabia, and when he gives the orders to fight Americans on the ground, our forward operating bases in Iraq and other bases around the region. So that is a very real threat. You know, I can hardly wait when I prepare to do this broadcast to be able to talk to Ken Timmerman and see what his thoughts are on these geopolitical activities happening across the world. I'm a student of Bible prophecy. Ken knows history. He knows what's happening in our world. Put that two together gives us a great step up in our understanding of the end times. 
Ken, thank you so very much for always being on target. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan, he has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung, I'm here at Temporary Studios in Chillicothe, Illinois. Had a great meeting at the Calvary Baptist Church this last week. We're going to go from here over to LaSalle, Illinois, First Baptist Church, and the pastor there is Jared Cochran. We're hoping you can come and join us there at the First Baptist Church in LaSalle for a four-day prophecy conference will start Sunday morning, 9.30, 10.30, and then in the evening, 5 o'clock for prophecy Q&A, 6 p.m. for the service, and on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the service will be at 7. That's my teaching time, prophecy Q&A, beginning at 6. Come join us, First Baptist Church, LaSalle. Illinois. Well, we're going to David Dolan, as promised, for a Middle East news update. I want to talk to him a bit about the elections in Israel on this special edition of Prophecy Today weekend, Israeli elections 2019. I'll get to that in a moment, but late breaking news from David. David, I want to talk to you about the Israeli-Saudi combination, the two together attacking there on the Syrian-Iraqi border in response to this Iranian attack on the Saudi oil fields or the refinery. What do we know? 
Well, Jimmy, we have reports coming out of several Israeli security services and sources and also some Arab Gulf military sources being quoted in various Arab papers in the Gulf and in Saudi Arabia saying that for the first time openly, uh, Israeli and Saudi jets, Air Force planes, jointly attacked in the uh, Abu Kamal region, the eastern border region, as you said, of Syria with Iraq and Jordan's just on the other side, uh, have been jointly hit bases there. They say that the, quote, unidentified UAVs that have been sighted flying low over Iranian concentrations in Syria uh, belong to Saudi Arabia. Those are Saudi UAVs, but the Israeli Air Force is reportedly jointly attacking these positions, and the U.S. is providing air cover as well as running intelligence. And the report suggests, Jimmy, that this is why President Trump has not taken any military action, because the Israelis and Saudis said, hey, we'll go on and do it. We'll, we'll get their bases and where they launched these attacks from and near to where they were launched as well and uh, reduce uh, their forces there. Of course, the Iranians have been saying all week, Jimmy, that they will respond with full war if they feel like they're being hit. Well, they are being hit, not in Iran itself, uh, according to these reports, but in Syria and uh, possibly also in Iraq next door, uh, a big step up. But, Jimmy, who could have thought that we would see the Israeli and Saudi air forces <laughs> fighting together against a common enemy when, of course, the Saudis have supported the various Arab wars over the years and the uprisings and that against the Israelis. So a real sea change in that way and remarkable news. But uh, we may see this action uh, grow and uh, move to more uh, other areas, including, of course, more Iranian strikes on Israel and on Saudi Arabia. Very, very interesting developments coming out of the Middle East. That's, of course, the reason we have at this broadcast table David Dolan on a weekly basis. Well, and in fact, Netanyahu, the prime minister, still, he's not been removed yet. He's still the prime minister of Israel, had been talking all week about the lack of response from the United States and Saudi Arabia. We see there has been a response, and your feasible possible understanding of why it happened, very, very interesting. Well, let's talk about the elections just briefly, and I want to focus. I'm going to have Winky Madad deal with an entire deep thinking and information on the Israeli elections, what the possibilities are. But I noticed as I looked at the vote count and the results of the elections on last Tuesday that the Arab list, they put together a joint list, they came in in third place. You have blue and white in first place. You have Likud secondly. And then the entire Arab members of the Knesset, they put together a list. They came in third. Is it a possibility, David, that they could be included in a unity government? And would that be a dangerous move? Jimmy, it's a very, very remotely slim possibility, and in fact, the head of the joint list said on Thursday, I believe it was, that they are not interested in joining any Zionist coalition, as they called it, and they would remain the head of the opposition. Benny Gantz said we're open to everybody, but really, Jimmy, some of those Arab Knesset members are very extremely anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, not all of 
of them, but some of them are and have taken some pretty strong stands in the past against Israel's existence, even even though they're part of the country's parliament. So, no, it's very unlikely they could be drafted in. And certainly, Bibi Netanyahu, if he's asked to form a government, wouldn't do so. But a real stalemate, Jimmy, and it's exactly what I expected, that neither bloc would come out on top. And we have Lieberman in the center, the man that will probably decide which way this goes. I want to talk to you about uh, Victor Lieberman in a moment, but it was an interesting statement coming from the Palestinian Authority that Bibi and Benny are like Pepsi and Coke. They were talking, of course, Bibi Netanyahu and Benny Gantz, who heads up uh, the Blue-White Party. They're about the same. Are we going to see a major change if either one of them sets up and leads the next government? Well, Jimmy, uh, what I talked about at first today, that we are very likely on the brink of a full Mideast war. If that happens, I have no doubt in my mind that within hours a joint government will be announced with probably Benny Gantz's defense minister and Netanyahu continuing for the time being, at least as prime minister. They would say this is a short-lived government, only because of the emergency that the country is facing. I think that's, frankly, what is going to happen. And the haggling will be put aside. They're not Pepsi and Coke, but they're both strong, military-minded men. They both love their country and want to see it defended. They both fully understand uh, what Iran is up to and uh, that Gaza is involved and that Hezbollah will get involved, probably all of this, and that they need to be as focused and united at this time as possible. I think that's what's going to happen. You talked about uh, Vigdor Lieberman. He heads up the Russian-speaking political party there in Israel, has about eight or nine votes. I'm not sure how many the final count gives him. But why does he hate Netanyahu? Why not join with Netanyahu, have that right-wing government? Well, of course, he has been a minister in uh, various Netanyahu governments over the years. He was in the 90s, even, in the first Netanyahu government, uh, when I was working for CBS and covering events there. Politically, he's very allied with Netanyahu, more so than with Gantz, but it's a personal dispute, really. But also, his constituents, Russian voters, uh, Russian-speaking voters, are mostly not very orthodox or religious. A lot of them hate the religious party. And Lieberman's adopted some of that as well. So he can't sit in a Netanyahu government with these other religious parties, he says. But, Jimmy, we have the same from one of the leaders of the Blue and White Party, the third man on the list, saying he wouldn't sit in any government with any religious party. So it's a mess. But, again, I think that the intervention that's going to come is what's going on in the region. Uh, Israel didn't call Iran and say, hey, why don't you strike Saudi oil fields so that we can put a unity government together? I'm sure that was isn't their strategy, but I think that will be the result, and Lieberman will back that. He's, in fact, been calling for a national unity government since the first elections uh, earlier this year. You were speaking of Iran. Iran this week has announced that they are intensifying their efforts to build a war machine, and that war machine to be used against not Saudi Arabia, but Israel. What do we know about that? 
Well, Jimmy, they've been doing this for decades. You know, we have to remember that the latest Iranian provocation is just the latest Iranian provocation. Again, who invited them in Israel to step into Lebanon in 1982 to set up a militia there called Hezbollah, fund it and and train it and arm it and do all the things they've been doing all these years? That's a major force now. The Syrian government invited them into Syria, but now the war is basically over and they're apparently not leaving. They have bases all over Syria. They are strongly supporting Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip. And, and of course, the Yemen Houthis and others. So around the region, they've got a war machine that's pretty well-oiled, Jimmy. And I do want to say this. I don't think this is going to be an easy fight. I think the Iranians are going to put up a pretty decent uh, fight. But they're the ones starting this. They're doing the acts like Hitler did, you know, moving into neighboring countries, attacking neighbors. And, uh, you know, you can't just sit there forever and take that. So they do have Israel in their crosshairs. Again, they've been saying that all along. The destruction of the Jewish state is their goal. That's not going to happen, but we may have a pretty nasty time just ahead. I'm absolutely positive that's going to be the case because the Bible says that is going to how it will play out. I'm kind of glad from my perspective to see the Saudis and the Israelis join forces together to go after Iran, at least their proxies there at the Syrian-Iraqi border. We got that information from David Dolan. That's why he's key every single week with his Middle East news update. David, thank you so very much. We appreciate how you know so much because of your longtime experience as a journalist there in the Middle East. We'll have another conversation next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. Thank you. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, as mentioned, Winky Madad standing by. We're going to go pretty deep into the elections on this special edition of Prophecy Today weekend, Israeli Elections 2019. Winky Madad up next right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. I'm here as I was last week in Chillicothe, Illinois, here in Temporary Studios. Just love the name, like to stay in this little community. Had a great time at the church, Calvary Baptist Church, here in the area in Chillicothe. We're not going too far up the road. We're going up to LaSalle, Illinois. Right after the broadcast is over, Judy and I will drive up. We're going to be at the First Baptist Church in LaSalle, Illinois. And by the way, it's the son 
of the pastor here at Calvary in Chillicothe. We're going to have a four-day prophecy conference Sunday through Wednesday, Sunday 9.30, 10.30, and then in the afternoon, 5 p.m. for Q&A, 6 p.m. for the teaching And then Monday through Wednesday at 6 p.m., we have Prophecy Q&A. 7 p.m., we'll be studying the prophetic word of God. So come and join us if you can. Great opportunity and a very important time in which to be studying Bible prophecy. First Baptist Church, LaSalle, Illinois. Well, last week, we talked with Winky Madad. He gave us a preview of the upcoming elections this last Tuesday. The Israeli body politic went to the polls to vote. It was a record turnout, but it's come to a stalemate once again. And we'll have that opportunity to ask Winky what that means. Why is it a stalemate, much like a repeat of the elections that took place back in April of this year? Winky, uh, do you have any idea what the final count is? I, I know that they're trying to finish up all the counting so they can start moving ahead. Any idea what the final count is on the top two parties, for example, uh, the Blue and White Party and the Likud? As far as I remember, we're talking about 33 seats out of the 120 are going to the Blue and White Party. I remind our listeners, the Blue and White is not really a party It was a block of three different groups that came together basically in order to topple uh, Mr. Netanyahu. Uh, There was the uh, Yesh Atid party, a Telem party, and uh, two other former commanders-in-chief of the IDF who thought that their uh, heavyweight uh, security persona would be able to persuade the voters. Uh, so they slightly increased their lead over the Likud this time around. It's 33 to the Likud 31. But as we have been telling our audiences constantly, I would even say, Jimmy, over the years, Israel uh, has never had one party that gained a complete majority of 61 seats out of the 120 seats in the Knesset. And therefore... Uh, one or two parties, at the minimum, have to get together to cross that hurdle of 61. And at the present moment, Jimmy, neither of those two leading parties is able to gather together the necessary 61. So what then will the procedure be, Winky? How will they come about doing that? Tell us, just explain very briefly, because it's a it's a bollywick over there to try to understand it. Give us... Uh, the procedure ahead. Well, the president of the state, Ruby Rivlin, on Sunday will begin uh, what's called consultations. He receives each faction that got into the Knesset, if I'm not mistaken, is something like eight or nine, and they get about 30 to 40 minutes to tell the president their preference for the member of Knesset who should be charged with the responsibility for trying uh, over either a two-week or a four-week period, depending on whether he asks for an extension of time, to come back to the Knesset and say, Speaker of the Knesset, I have at least 61 members of Knesset who will vote for me, and that's called a vote of confidence. Once that happens, we have a government. If that does not happen, I'm going to go back to the holy books and scriptures and find out what we can do because we're really in a mess. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the best place to go, I'll guarantee you. Well, as you think about it, and you were talking about blue and white with 33, Likud with 31 or 32. I've seen the number 32 as well. So they're not finishing that final account probably until sometime on Sunday when they'll contact the president. But at this point, just at this point right now, who do you think has the best prospect to put together a coalition government right now? Uh, technically, I want to be fair to everybody, no one. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Netanyahu has uh, immediately rallied around him his natural coalition partners, which are religious Jewish religious parties uh, of various stripes, and Blue and White has rallied around the left-of-center parties. But both of them come up into the 50s and are short. One key is Mr. Avigdor Lieberman, a former, actually, Ukrainian, if I'm not mistaken, but everybody here calls him a Russian, from about 30 years ago that he came on immigration. And he holds, if I'm not mistaken, nine seats, and he is demanding a national liberal government without the what we call the Haredi, or the ultra-Orthodox parties. And in fact, he's also discounting the, what we call the national religious parties. In other words, he says, my party, Israel is a home, is the name of his party, blue and white, and we could. Uh, mm. That is very difficult, Jimmy, to do. And the other possible coalition is with the Arab lists, who have gained, I think, about 13 seats. But that's a very delicate thing to depend uh, on uh, the Arab lists for your government. One of the factions in that party is basically anti-Zionist. That's interesting that the Arab joint list had that many. In fact, they came in third as it amounts to the number of members of Knesset they would have, and they could have been a major player. But are you saying Blue and White nor Likud would invite them to be a part of their government? Um, they might. Uh, no, Likud, let me say it this way. Likud will not. Blue and White might be forced to, if only sort of to set up a government and see what happens. But that would, I, I'm, I'm going to suggest that would really severely harm their uh, potential re-election whenever that comes up in the next four years. The Arab parties that banded together, there were actually four different lists that formed the United Front, at least two of them are led by people that are very openly identified with the Palestinian National Authority. Ahmed Tibi was a, an advisor to Yasser Arafat, and another one called Balad uh, actually is very anti-Zionist. And, and that will not do them very good in the next elections, even if they do set up a government. Well, even if they were able to form a government with that Arab list of members of Knesset, that would be a bad government because they would have a bad player, the Palestinian people, those who actually want to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. Lieberman, as you said, looks like he's going to be the kingmaker. Do you think uh, he's going to be left out? Let's say they formed a unity government between Blue and White and Likud. If you were able to do that, you'd have your simple majority so you could elect a prime minister. Could they leave Lieberman out of the whole situation? That could be a possibility. The problem is, Jimmy, is that Likud and his coalition partners who've already, as I mentioned, banded together as one a negotiating block 
are insisting that Mr. Netanyahu is their candidate for prime minister, which is completely, at the present moment, as I'm talking to you, unacceptable to blue and white. Mm. They will not either tolerate, if I can use the word, or allow Mr. Netanyahu to be prime minister, even in a rotation agreement, that he would get two years and Benny Gantz would would get two years, uh, because of the cases, uh, I would even say criminal cases, as we mentioned over the past year or two of embezzlement and things of that nature, which haven't, of course, yet even gone to court. In other words, they're sort of pressuring we could come up with another candidate, and then we can get together. You know, I can remember back when Shamir and Perez were fighting to be prime minister of Israel, their election came out very similar to this one, and they did form a unity government. So that has happened. There's precedent for it in the Israeli body politic. But what about it? What are your thoughts? Any chance of a unity government being formed with what you've already told us? Well, Jimmy, we can even go back even further to 1967. It was Mr. Begin who uh, suggested to Levi Eshkol uh, to set up a national unity government in order to deal with the oncoming war that everybody felt was coming. So we have that first precedent. As you mentioned correctly, there was a second precedent between Shamir and Paris. However, I have to point out to you that that fell apart after Mr. Paris pulled what's known in Hebrew, if I can translate it, uh, approximately the dirty trick. He tried to cause the government to fall and then form an alternative coalition in order to replace Mr. Shamir, but that fell apart. It actually sullied his reputation. I'm talking about Mr. Paris. For many years afterwards, no one would let him get away with that uh, dirty trick that he played. So it depends on, uh, do you trust uh, Mr. Netanyahu, do you trust uh, Mr. Gantz? The funny thing, Jimmy, I'll just throw this in as a last point on this question. There's a rotation agreement technically between Mr. Lapid and Mr. Gantz, who's going to be prime minister if Blue and White had taken a, a full majority or had gotten their own coalition. So we've got at least two rotation agreements, four different coalition possibilities, and nowhere near the 61 majority required. Or, Jimmy, to be fair, Mr. Netanyahu can try to go for a minority government of less than 61 if he gets the agreement of Lieberman not to vote against him and simply abstain as a protest. Boy, I told you it was a Bollywick when we started the conversation with Winky Madad. You can understand why I said that. Quick answer, if you will, Winky. Whoever forms the government, if there is a government formed, uh, will the future look okay for the Israeli people and the state of Israel in this next government? Well, Jim, now you're asking me a question that I might have to mix in a little bit of my political beliefs here. Jimmy... We're at a critical stage. I mean, of course, you've probably heard that in the past. But we've got Iran that has just recently bombed uh, Saudi Arabia or other oil fields. I mean, we're not talking about uh, supporting the Houthis in Yemen or, or other Hezbollah activities on Israel's northern border. This was an outright act of war against a sovereign country. We have diplomatic issues. We have the American uh, uh, alliance that we have to take care of. At this point, to do without a Mr. Netanyahu somewhere in the neighborhood, I would not personally feel comfortable with that political situation. And therefore, I do say it's critical. Uh, we have, of course, dependency on 
our traditions, our biblical and prophetic beliefs and knowledge. But again, uh, too often in history, if man leaves the good book and God, he's left to his own devices, and we don't know what happens. Well, we'll have to wait on what the Lord is going to do. He raises up and takes down human governments and uses human governments to set his plan in place. That's an absolute from the Word of God. Winky, thank you so much. I know it's difficult. It's almost like having to be a prophet or a son of the prophet, but uh, we'll wait and see, and I'm sure we'll be able to talk to you and get more information down the road. Thank you, Winky. God bless. Jimmy, thank you for having me on. Good night to you and our listeners. Very interesting conversation with Winky Madad, an analysis of the Israeli elections. I've got to tell you, folks, this is not over. It's just beginning, and the possibility of another election this year or maybe the first of next year. We'll stay on top of the story with Winky Madad. Now there's a story we need to cover on a weekly basis. That is, what is going on in the European Union? Our go-to man there is John Rood. And John, let me get started right away. We're focusing on the Israeli elections 2019. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today weekend. want to find out from you, are there thoughts coming out of the European Union about these recent Israeli elections? And if there are, what are they? Yes, I believe that we can take a view of examining some of the trends and the continuations of what's happening with the EU in the context of the Israeli elections. Even though there have not been any direct statements, we can certainly connect the dots. And so we know that the European Union has two main issues concerning Israel, which is Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Iranian nuclear program, The EU as a whole has been one-sided against Israel, although we have the Visegrad group, Hungary, Poland, Czech Republic, and Slovakia, which are working more together with Israel in support and economically. So I believe that some of the pressures, you know, in 2019 is a new political phase for Europe. We have all of the new, the high positions that are all being new as of November, the Commission President, Council President, High Rep for Security, European Central Bank. Now we have a similar situation in Israel, possibly and likely political shifting in phase. So I believe we'll be seeing the positioning of these very fragile situations that we would begin to see some of the the pressure, the EU particularly trying to extend their their positions and would therefore put uh, pressure on Eastern Europe and their favorable relation with Israel. Well, we know that the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, will play a key role in the end times, and that will be between the revived Roman Empire and the Jewish state of Israel. So what the European Union is thinking politically is key to our understanding of the prophecy ahead. I understand there is a fast-growing element of terrorism in the United Kingdom, and it seems to be coming from the far right. Now, are we talking about Islamic terrorism, or that's national terrorism that may be taking place in the United Kingdom? Uh, The biggest threat in the United uh, Kingdom is certainly the jihadists, yet the far-right extremism has doubled its pace. 
And so it's approximately about 10% of the ongoing investigations at this moment. And so it is rising in terms of far-right extremism. They have enough to work with already. At one time, I was told there were 50 ongoing investigations, terror investigations in the United Kingdom. Uh, Basically, that's the norm. And yet, now I've come across the figure that there's 800 live terror investigations. And so they certainly have their hands full, and now the the far-right neo-Nazi groups are accelerating and growing in proportion to the jihadists. Well, that's going to be a situation that needs to be dealt with. And we do know that Israel has been ready to consult with any member in the European Union about terrorism. Israel does have some experience in that field. Talk to me about Turkey. They are wanting, Tayyip Erdogan wants to have nuclear weapons of mass destruction. He wants to join the nuclear club. And he said, because Israel has these nukes, I know that the state of Turkey is a member of NATO, which Great Britain and all the European Union are involved in. What are the concerns? What are these, What is the thinking of the European Union as it relates to nuclear weapons for Turkey? Turkey has had stand, which has been quite firm through 17 years of President Erdogan's rule. Uh, he has voiced eagerness to make Turkey a nuclear-armed state. Uh, he's on the record for describing Israel as the principal threat to peace in the Middle East. The U.S., of course, works with Uh, Turkish bases and has U.S. nuclear weapons in Turkey. Interesting enough, those weapons cannot be used unless there's a launch protocol that includes Washington and Ankara. Both the United States and Turkey would be involved with the use of the weapons that the U.S. puts there in in Cherlik uh, Air Air Base, which is sort of an interesting thing to take note of. If Turkey actually goes ahead and launches a nuclear weapons program, then the concern is that there would be some type of domino effect and that we would see uh, similar things come to the headlines. Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Syria, and Greece are the main concerns there. I believe, Jimmy, that there's a lot going on behind the scenes when we're speaking about nuclear weapons in the Middle East. This would be a very prayerful matter. Absolutely. We need to be praying for the entire Middle East and what is happening. And by the way, that reminds me, especially focus your prayers on Jerusalem and the coming together of an Israeli government. That's our focus as we present the information politically happening around the world. And now that fits into the prophetic scenario found in God's word. John, thank you so very much. A couple of just short items, but very key information from you as it relates to the European Union. We'll have another conversation next week, buddy. Thank you, and we all do our part. Very interesting conversation with John Rood as we cover the European Union, their political activities, which are basically setting the stage for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. We so need this report from John Rood on a weekly basis. Right after the broadcast is over, Judy and I will drive up. We're going to be at the First Baptist Church in LaSalle, Illinois. We're going to have a four-day prophecy conference Sunday through Wednesday. Come and join us if you can. Great opportunity and a very important time in which to be studying Bible prophecy. First Baptist Church, LaSalle, 
Illinois. Well, we're going back to Israel, actually going down to the area of the Red Sea in Elat, which is the southernmost city in the state of Israel. And that's where we find Jim Jr. and our tour that's over in Israel. They're getting ready to go over to Petra, one of the most unique cities in all the world, actually one of the seven wonders of the world. And I want to talk to Jim about Petra and the excitement of being able to go over there with these people. But Jim, first, uh, let me ask you about the people on the street. How have they been responding, like your bus driver, your guides? How have they been responding to the recent Israeli elections and the possibility there's a stalemate, nobody's going to be able to form a coalition government? What are the people in the streets saying about the elections? Well, interesting. Good to talk to you again, Dad. But interesting thing about all of this, we had a Russian driver. Our Russian driver was definitely for Avigdor Lieberman. He was happy that... He was pulling his weight in the election. Our guide was, even up until the day he went to go vote, he goes, I don't know who to vote for. I, I, I know that Benjamin Netanyahu has done a good job for us, but there are some things that I'm not happy about him, so I am truly undecided as I go to the polls. And then we took our group down to Ben Yehuda on election night. And there were people on every side, as you would know, <laughs> with so many parties running in this election, trying to vie for election votes. So many people campaigning on both sides, uh, people driving around with loudspeakers on their cars. It was just as any other election, even more intense than the one that they had earlier this year. But most people basically said, you know what, life is not going to change much after Benjamin Netanyahu either wins or loses. Uh, the government will still be the same, and security will be important. Uh, just a few things will change. So that's pretty much everybody's attitude here. Well, that's an interesting reception to what's going on by the people of Israel, and even uh, probably some of them a bit irritated because it's a stalemate once again, and there is a outside possibility that they may have to go to a third election. Now, we're not predicting that, but that is a outside possibility. And a great, exciting time for our friends who are traveling with you throughout the land of the Bible. Now, I know that you're going to be going over to Petra. I would imagine as you teach about Petra, the people are really eager to be able to go to Petra, this impregnable city, one of the seven wonders of the world, with great prophetic significance. Are they eager to get over there and have an opportunity to see this unique city? They are dead. You know, we look at Israel past, present, and future. We've done that. They understand about the significance of the city of Petra, the location of it, probably the place as to where the Jews will flee at the midway point of the tribulation period to flee the Antichrist, to go to be protected in the wilderness. So they understand the significance. Not only it's a beautiful city, but prophetically in the future, what's going to be taking place there, and that at one point Jesus Christ will come, gather those Jews, and bring them from the way of the east over the Mount of Olives, from the city of Petra, into the city of Jerusalem, and up onto the Temple Mount, where Christ will then take his seat on his throne. 
Oh, man, that's an exciting thought. And I'm sure that's exactly how you teach it to the people. So they should be as excited as I am just listening to you describing what you're going to be doing. You've been there many, many times. Is it ever get not exciting to visit this city of Petra? Oh, no. A trip to the Holy Land, never. A trip to Petra, never does it get dull. It's always exciting. You get excited. And what gets me excited, Dad, is the fact that when when people, when their eyes see it and their minds understand what's going to take place and it all falls into place, they understand how close we are to the next event on God's timetable. Wow, that is absolutely correct. That rapture could even happen today. Hey, how about being raptured out of Petra? That'd be a unique experience. Well, having talked about what everything we could bring to the attention of our listeners today, and the fact that you've been leading this tour, recommend that others that are interested in the Bible, the study of the Bible, maybe teaching the Bible, and sure, for sure, pastors who are teaching the Bible, would you recommend that they take a trip possibly with us, over to the lands of the Bible and the state of Israel. I would love for them to go with us, Dad, but in any case, understand when you come to Israel, it's about God's program from Genesis to Revelation, and really you can connect the dots here in the land of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and helping people understand it helps them to be better prepared to live their lives in these last days. Yes, very, very important. If you are interested in the study of the Bible, and in particular Bible prophecy, that you put on your bucket list a trip to Israel, the lands of the Bible. Jim, it sounds like to me you're having an exciting time with this group. Be sure to give our love to them. Be safe as you travel throughout the land. And Man, it was a great report you gave us today. We're looking forward to you getting back home, getting some rest, but you're going to go again at the end of October, are you not? We're going the first two weeks of November. We've got a trip in February. We've got one in March and again next fall. So we invite people to come along with us. And if you need information about those trips, go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and then go to Joshua Travel. That's a place on our website that gives you all the details, the information, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know. Thank you, Jim. God bless you. Great to talk with you today. Great report you gave us. Thanks, Dad. Looking forward to being with you again sometime. We're going to take a break right now. We're going to go into our third half hour, and we have one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be talking about the new book written by Jonathan Kahn, The Oracle. You don't want to miss that. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Tipperary Studios in Chillicothe, Illinois. Great meetings at the Calvary Baptist Church here. We're going to travel about an hour away over to LaSalle, Illinois, where we'll go at the First Baptist Church into a prophecy conference, a four-day conference. By the way, the son of the pastor here at Calvary is the pastor over there at First Baptist Church. We're going to have four days of meetings. There will be four on Sunday, 9.30, 10.30, then 5 and 6. By the way, the 5 o'clock hour will be Prophecy Q&A, 
And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 6 o'clock, Prophecy 2&A, 7 o'clock, my teaching service. Come and join us to study Bible prophecy, First Baptist Church in LaSalle, Illinois. Want to have you answer the poll question, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and then scroll down the left-hand side. You'll find the poll question. Here it is. Now that the votes have been counted in the Israeli elections and the result seems to indicate a stalemate. In other words, a coalition government is not going to happen and there may be another Israeli election. Do you believe that God is still in charge and as Revelation 17.17 says, that God will make the Israeli government that he wants for the future of the Jewish state? That's the poll question. Please answer it. We'd love to hear what your response is. And also look at the information on the home page about the School of Prophets Conference upcoming the first week of December. David James and I will be teaching some very important subject. All the details, the way to register, right there on my home page at prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this broadcast table David James, and David and I are going to have our weekly conversation focused on the Oracle, the Jubilean Mysteries Unveiled, a brand new book by Jonathan Kahn. As we get ready to talk with David, we catch him in Uganda as he's on his way back home from a couple of weeks of ministry there. David, how did the ministry go? Well, I've had a really great time here in Uganda, Jimmy. It's It's been really intense. Uh, I had the equivalent of 42 50-minute class hours in just eight days with no breaks in between. And I was teaching current theological issues to 20 undergrad students of the National Theological College and Graduate School. Well, praise the Lord for that great opportunity that he's opened for you there in Uganda with both of the schools, the Word of Life Bible Institute and the seminary operation. We're so excited about that. We've been praying for you. Great to be able to have you rehearse this wonderful report on your trips, and we'll be praying for your safety as you travel back. David, last week we gave our listeners a preview of Jonathan Kahn's newest book, The Oracle, and then you gave us some background for our interaction with his previous work going back to 2012. For those who may have missed last week's program, could you take a moment and give a quick overview of who Jonathan Kahn is and why we continue to deal with his writings? Jonathan Kahn is an ethnic Jew who grew up in a non-religious Jewish home and who says he became an atheist at eight years old. I'm not sure how you do that, but that's what he says. He came to faith in Christ at around 20 years old after a car he was driving was hit by a train. He's currently the pastor of a Messianic congregation called Beth Israel in Wayne, New Jersey, and he's known as a rabbi, even though I don't prefer that terminology because the letters to the New Testament churches never refer to spiritual leaders or teachers in the church as rabbi, but rather refer to them as elders and pastor. Uh, in his first book, The Harbinger, he tried to connect the terrorist attacks of 9-11 to the words of Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 10, which actually have nothing to do with the United States at all. And that book was published by Charisma Media, uh, a heresy publishing powerhouse, honestly. 
And The Harbinger quickly became the best-selling Christian book of 2012, selling over a million copies in just 12 months. And because of that, he became the most interviewed man in America that year. And I challenged The Harbinger with my first book, The Harbinger Factor Fiction, and I thoroughly documented that Jonathan Kahn had mishandled the Word of God, misrepresented historical facts, manipulated statistical data, and at one point was even dishonest in the way he used the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and all this in order to support his theories. And since then, he has published four other major books, including this last one, The Oracle, which came out earlier this month. Well, let's move on to the Oracle now. Last week when we talked, you had just started reading the book, but now I know that you finished it. So what is this book about? And can you give us a brief summary of what we're going to be talking about today? Sure. Well, Tom has returned to the fiction format and presents his theories through a series of visions experienced by the main character, uh, which are symbolic and obscure, and so those must be interpreted and explained by another character known as the Oracle. Now, the full title of the book, as you mentioned earlier, is The Oracle, the Jubilee, and Mysteries Unveiled. And it all has to do with the modern-day restoration of the nation of Israel through a series of events occurring in jubilee years, according to the modern Hebrew calendar, beginning in 1867, then in 1917, 1967, and 2017. And, of course, he includes the events of 1948, which is a non-jubilee year when Israel became a state. Now, in the Mosaic Law... The calendar was set up on seven-year cycles, so just as every seventh day is a Sabbath day, every seventh year was a Sabbath year known as the Shemitah. In Leviticus 25 and 27, we read that after seven of these seven-year cycles came the Jubilee year, the 50th year. So Khan goes back to a trip that, believe it or not, Mark Twain took in 1867 to what was then known as Palestine to the world, after which he wrote a best-selling book about what he saw, which now, Jonathan Kahn claims, fulfills a prophecy in Deuteronomy 29 concerning a foreigner describing the desolation of Israel 1,800 years after God's judgment in A.D. 70. And there are other things he ties to 1867, such as the beginnings of Zionism. Then he points to events surrounding the Balfour Declaration of 1917, including the liberation of the Promised Land from the Ottoman Empire by General Allenby, He then goes forward to the Six-Day War in 1967 and the liberation of Jerusalem from Jordan, and then to 2017 when Congress passed a resolution recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And again, all these current events are supposedly the direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy according to Khan. Then finally, he goes on to say that our redemption, the millennial kingdom, and even the eternal state are Jubilean mysteries. David, since you've been dealing with Jonathan Kahn's books and his messages, along with radio and television interviews for almost eight years, before we get into some of the Oracle's content, what were your initial impressions as you read this book? Well, I'm not a fan of Christian fiction, I think, as you know, because either it's fictional theology, which is heresy, or it's theological fiction, meaning it's intended to convey what the author believes to be true. And I don't care for the literary devices he uses, which is visions from God and the interpretation of those visions by the oracle. And the reason I don't like it is because Jonathan Kahn believes that God is revealing these things to him personally, something he has referred to as downloads, quote-unquote downloads that he gets from God. 
Uh, in the case of the Oracle, sometimes his theology does represent a good understanding of the Bible in certain areas. But then in other places, he just goes off the rails, especially when it comes to eschatology. For example, he says that various biblical prophecies have been fulfilled over the last 200 years, such as, he says, that the times of the Gentiles came to an end in 1967 with the capture of Jerusalem. And he also says that David's fallen tent was restored at that time. But the fact is, biblically, both of those will only be fulfilled when Christ sets up his millennial kingdom after the tribulation. And since 2012, he's refused to take a public position concerning the timing of the rapture, while constantly appearing as a guest on Jim Baker's show, and Baker is post-trib, including appearing on that show to promote this book. So for someone who's considered by many to be a great prophecy teacher, I would say he's very confused about almost everything when it comes to the end times, and he's confusing other people while being heavily promoted on a number of programs that have serious problems by themselves. And I haven't had a chance to check out all of his historical claims, but he has a long track record of manipulating and misrepresenting historical and other facts. So at this point, I just don't know about those. David, I think it'd probably be good for us right now to take a moment and uh, talk more about the concept of the Jubilee. Will you please remind all of our listeners what the Bible actually has to say about the Jubilee, and is it a mystery? And then also, can we make the biblical connection between the Jubilee and Israel's return to the land as Jonathan Kahn tries to do? Well, first of all, there's nothing mysterious about the Jubilee, and this is the one thing that really bothers me about so much of Jonathan Kahn's teaching and writing. He positions himself as a revealer of mysteries, things no serious conservative Bible scholar has ever seen before in the last 2,000 years, and it's this wow factor that creates opportunities for him to promote his theories. And unfortunately, many people just seem to check their brains at the door when it comes to what he says. So again, there's nothing mysterious about this. Every Sabbath year, the Israelites would allow the land to rest with no planting or harvesting, and God provided the double harvest in the sixth year to see them through. Also, any debts were to be forgiven, and slaves and indentured servants, they were to be set free. Then in the Jubilee year, the 50th year, after seven Sabbath year cycles, there was to be no sowing or reaping. But in addition, all the land was to be returned to its original owners, and so the land was effectively only leased for up to 50 years at a time, and there was never what could actually be considered a permanent sale of ancestral land. So now, Jonathan Kahn has taken this principle and supposedly found a template, or a paradigm as he calls it, and argues that the Jubilee now applies to Israel, returning to its ancestral home as a nation, a process that supposedly began in 1867 and continued at 50-year intervals to 2017, as well as in 1948 when Israel became a nation. This is not a biblical concept. And what's more, he extrapolates his paradigm to be a driving force that impacts both the world and the Church. This is the kind of thing he's been doing for years, and it's just unbiblical, and I would say it's irresponsible that people are eating it up. David, as we wrap it up, I'd really like to ask you two quick questions. I think I'll do them both at one time, and then you respond, if you will. First question, you said that he has applied this Jubilee mystery to the world and the church. Now, what does that actually mean? And then secondly, what is your recommendation concerning people following 
and supporting what Jonathan Kahn is actually doing in his writings? To answer the first question, Jonathan Kahn talks about a dark jubilee, quote-unquote a dark jubilee, something he just made up completely out of thin air, which is supposedly some sort of satanic counterpart to God's jubilee. His theory is, just as Israel is returning to its ancestral possession, so too the world is reverting to the state it was in when Israel was dispersed by judgment in AD 70 when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. So the world supposedly is becoming more pagan due to this dark jubilee, just as God is working on the jubilee calendar on Israel's behalf. This is just total nonsense. First of all, biblically, there's no such thing as a dark jubilee, and the vast majority of the world has always been totally pagan. When it comes to the Church, he says that it's our jubilee in return as well, getting back to our Jewish roots. And I don't know where he's going with this, but I don't like what seems to be a Hebrew roots trajectory to this. Uh, Concerning following and supporting Jonathan Kahn, Uh, He's clearly proven himself to be not only a poor Bible teacher over the years, at best he's shown himself to be an end-time sensationalist who isn't afraid to twist things to fit his latest theories, and at worst he's a false teacher and in some cases arguably a false prophet. Now, we may catch some flack for this, but I just don't think he can be trusted, and it's sad what's happening. Well, I do believe that this is a service to the body of Christ. You read the book. Others are allowed to read the book as well. They may have some different concepts of thinking from what Jonathan Kahn had to write, but uh, that's their right, and we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at prophecytoday.com, and we will be able to follow up maybe with some of the questions you have in the future. Hey, David, thank you so much for all of your research as you prepare to get on that airplane and come back home. We'll pray for your journey's mercies, and we'll have another conversation while you're here in the United States next week. Thanks for praying, Jimmy, and thanks for the opportunity. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to open up the Bible. We'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. 
We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. We've had our broadcast partners come to the broadcast table with great information focusing on current events around the world that seem to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. On this special edition of Prophecy Today weekend, Israeli Elections 2019, We had the perspective on these elections from those in Europe, from those throughout the entire Middle East, from what's going on in Israel as they try to come to some kind of a conclusion. Or will there be a third election cycle this year? And all of this information discussed by our broadcast partners, helping us to understand, giving us the reports so that we can recognize where we are in God's time, what he is doing, which was foretold by the ancient Jewish prophets in the prophetic scenario that is laid out in God's word. By the way, if you missed any of these reports, very important reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go there to Prophecy Today Radio Network, PTRN. You'll be able to listen to them at any time in the future that you would like to. You can go back and listen to these reports. And also, do me a favor, if you will, contact some of your friends. Tell them about these reports. Give them the link so they can hear the reports, and that will be of advantage to them to recognize where we are. See if you can send some of these reports to some people, friends of yours, loved ones that may be lost without Jesus Christ, and this could be a mind-opener for you to be able to have a conversation with them about how prophecy foretold by the ancient Jewish prophets coming together today which gives a certain validity to the Word of God and the reality that somebody must be saved before all of these things are fulfilled. Well, I hope that will be of service to you, and I want to take a moment right now, if you'll allow me, to rehearse what our partners mentioned, at least their lead stories, and then give you my prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman, he covers the geopolitical activities around the world, And the first issue we dealt with Ken was the Iranian attack on the Saudi oil refinery. This was a very large refinery there in Saudi Arabia, and actually it's the largest in the entire world. The attack shut down half of the oil production there in Saudi Arabia. They shut them down by about 5 million barrels in that particular day. 
a slight spike in oil prices around the world. Iran had hoped that would just drive those prices up maybe $100 and be a catastrophic event on the activities of this world. By the way, that is a part of the reason that Iran is going after Saudi Arabia. It is the eschatology of both of these countries. The Sunnis are Saudi Arabian, and the Shiite Muslims in the faction of the Islamic peoples of this world would be the Iranians. They are the Shiites, and their eschatology says that if a catastrophic event takes place in the world, it would bring back the Mahdi, the Islamic Messiah, He would come from the 12th Imam's resurrection in Iran, and he would then go to Jerusalem to set up a worldwide caliphate, an Islamic kingdom, and he would be the caliph, the leader of that kingdom. The Sunnis in Saudi Arabia do not have that same type of an agreement in their eschatology. Let me tell you this, the Shiites believe that if there is a king in Saudi Arabia named Salman, Oh, by the way, that's the king of Saudi Arabia today, King Salman. His son, the crown prince, Ben Salman, could be the next leader of Saudi Arabia. And the eschatology of Iran believes that if there is indeed a leader of Saudi Arabia named Salman, he's killed, that will bring back the Messiah. Bible tells us differently as we look at our eschatology. Uh, David Dolan talked to us with his Middle East News update that they have responded to the Iranian attack on Saudi Arabia. In fact, a unique situation taking place. The Israeli Defense Force and the Saudi military jets attacking the border of Syria and Iraq from where the location of the firing of the cruise missiles and the drones on the Saudi oil fields took place last Saturday. Winky Madad gave us an analysis of the Israeli elections. It's too close to call. It's a stalemate, basically. And if a unity government is not formed, the fact is they could go back to elections again in this year. That would be an amazing, unique experience, an unprecedented activity in the Israeli government and the formation of that government. John Rood covers the European Union for us. He talked about the European Union watching the Israeli elections. They are very much concerned about the Palestinian people having a state of their own and the fact that the Israelis want to give sovereignty to Judea and Samaria, so the European Union on watch. I had a great conversation with Jim Jr. He talked about the man in the street actually not knowing how to vote. He said that one man that he was talking with went to the polls not sure who he's going to vote on. He liked Netanyahu. He said Netanyahu had been in too long. And by the way, his bus driver for the trip, he said that he was Russian. He was going to vote for a Vigdor Lieberman, who is the roadblock to forming a coalition government. And then, of course, he took his people, the people that he's leading in our trip to Israel. He went over to Petra, the unique city of Petra. It's a very unbelievable location. It's the location the Lord, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6, has chosen to protect the Jewish people in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. It's a part of every tour that we do when we take people into the lands of the Bible.
And David James and I had a quick conversation. We were talking about Jonathan Kahn's latest book, The Oracle, and how biblically and historically it is very much incorrect. You need to re-listen to that conversation if you missed it. But I've got to tell you that everything I talked about with my broadcast partners today gave us evidence, tangible evidence, that we're moving quickly into the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word that will unfold in the last days. And looking at everything that our broadcast partners reported, we're at the verge of the tribulation period. Now, none of these prophecies will be fulfilled until the tribulation. But prior to that tribulation, the rapture is going to take place. That rapture actually could happen today. So let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.